Even if, that's what we get to talk about today in the series looking at Daniel. Um, before doing anything else, I'd love for you to go ahead and open up the book of Daniel. Um, we're going to have the majority of uh, scripture on the screen, uh, but not quite all of it. We want you to open it. So there are different places with Bibles. Also, you can get out your phone, whatever you need to do. Um, download a Bible app um, and take that opportunity to just get it right in front of you, the Word of God. It'll be fun to do. This, this last week... Um, I was able to run over to Houston, Texas. I say run over, fly, right? Uh, it's quite a, quite a while uh, to get there. Going down to Houston, I had to go to a conference for pastors, um, and uh, it was a wonderful opportunity. You got pastors who are in growing churches around the country, and all of us going, hey, what do we do? Uh, we're we're, we're uh, not the smartest people around, so how do we just honor God and everything? And so it was, it was fun to be able to do it. But did you notice that I said that I went to Houston, Texas? Um, don't, woo, we don't need that. Um, it wasn't all that hot. However, you woke up and it was in the mid-60s, so a bit balmy, only because um, the humidity was 287,000%. I'm not exaggerating. So the first morning, I intentionally stayed at a hotel roughly almost about half a mile, a little less than half a mile away from the conference so I could just walk every day. That way I just Ubered over from the airport, didn't have to get a rental car, and I could just walk. It just makes it simple. So there I am. I've got my backpack on full of stuff. I'm ready to go for the first day. I'm thinking at 65 uh, and, and going Michigan 65. Because I've been here less just I've been here less than five years. This is how much I love the great state of Michigan and what it's done to me. I go to Houston where it's 65 degrees, 2087 percent humidity. I'm walking to this thing and I am dripping from sweat. This is how you've impacted me. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you something. It could be a little embarrassing. Like to where I'm about to meet all these pastors. I don't want to look like the, the crazy guy from Michigan. And so I'm in the bathroom in a stall doing this. I take my shirt off having to fan it because it's completely drenched. That was me. And I'm going, wow. I just wanted, like, all of a sudden, the minus 87 outside is amazing. I'm like, I wanted more of it. I'm like, give me some cold, please, Jesus. So one guy walks by in the bathroom. He's like, are you okay in there? I'm like, oh, I'm just cooling off, right? And I'm just, the reason I tell you that story, and I'm sure my wife wishes that I would not have told you that story, I tell you that story because I've been here now for such a long time, right, in terms of five years where I've grown acclimated to something so that when I'm not in that environment, I know. And what, what if we were so accustomed to standing and being in the presence of God that when we're not, we know? What if we were so in tune with who God is and what He desires for our life that when we're not living in it, we know? We're sweating, and we're just, wait a second, this isn't right, this isn't normal. The humidity level, it shouldn't be this high. And you know. I think that was Daniel. Now, I'll give you some more summary today of the book of Daniel. 
uh, but I gave a lot last week. You can always go back and listen to that again and, and, and just to recognize some of the significance of all that's been taking place. So what you have is you have this guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he came in, it was 605, that's 605 B.C., before the time of Christ, the birth of Christ. Um, and he came in and he conquered the Egyptians, the Assyrians, all this. And he, he was a king, as we spoke about last week, who really enjoyed conquering and dominating, right? And so here he is, and he's coming in, and it, he's walking into this period of time called the Babylonian exile. Three different times he comes in, and he raids that entire area, and he conquers it. The third time is probably, I would assume, to be the most significant because he just destroyed the temple. He destroyed everything, just burning all of the city, took back everybody in captivity. That's 586 B.C. But the first time all this occurs, he doesn't take that many people back. Second time, about 10,000 people. First time he comes in, um, he doesn't take everybody back. But what he does say, he says, I need some people from the royal palace. I need some some people who are handsome, smart, intelligent, all this stuff. I want them to come because what we're going to do is we're going to indoctrinate them through our education, through um, our gods, through our languages, through everything. We're going to teach them our culture, our practices, and then we're going to give them certain leadership responsibilities. What greater way to show everybody else that we're awesome by conquering people and then making them just like us? So that's what he's doing. That's The first time is when Daniel goes over into captivity, along with people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. But he goes over, and that's what's been occurring. In fact, you can see a map right now, and you can kind of, it gives you an understanding of the entire region. Of course, you got the Mediterranean Sea there, you can see Judah, and you got Israel, Syria, and it comes all the way over. And if you see uh, Nineveh in the red way up there, go straight down to the water and a little bit over to my right, your right as well, I guess, uh, near the river there. And that's roughly where you have Babylon. Um, and you can see this would have been roughly a two-month journey for them. This, would, this is a long journey. This is not easy to be able to do. And so here they are making this journey. And we already know from last week, looking at Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, here's Daniel, and right away he needs to determine that no matter what, he's going to stand for God. We find him going, even if... I'm ridiculed, really, even if they say no, I don't want to do anything to defile myself to stand against God. And so he's one of these guys brought over. The king says, hey, I want you to feed these guys everything from my table, uh, my wine, my food. And uh, Daniel says, no, I can't do it. Primarily, I believe, because um, it was worshiping something that was really already being given to their God, which was not his God. It's like, I can't take part of that. I can't do it. And so what he does, here comes Daniel, and he goes to the chief of the eunuchs, this person who's overseeing these servants um, of the king, and he says, hey, listen, um, I, I, I can't do that. And that's where we pick up today. We're going to pick up with this very thing. Hey, let, let me tell you this, though, by the way. Uh, Daniel is the author. Um, there's been some discussion about that. primary reason Daniel... Um, is sometimes discussed about whether he is the author or not because the last half of Daniel, maybe you remember this from last week, is really about the prophecies. And so the prophecies are so accurate, of course, they're going, there's no way Daniel wrote it because he's talking about stuff that's happening hundreds of years later. 
Um, however, they then, in the uh, late 19th century, they found something called the Babylonian Chronicles, which show everything that's ever happened, and it proves that Daniel was just right. It, he is the author. Of course, that's what happens, right? And it shows the significance of God speaking into people's lives. Even what Daniel was doing was being prophet with the Babylonian exile. That was prophesied to Hezekiah 100 years prior to this. Go to 2 Kings. And you see it happen. It's a power of God. And so here we go. Daniel chapter 1, verse 10 and following. You have the chief of the eunuchs responding to Daniel when he says, hey, I can't, I can't eat and drink that. And so now that's what's happening. He's going to, you're going to see this response. He says, listen, I fear the Lord my king. Now I already told you, here's King Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody say Nebuchadnezzar. All right, name your next child that. It's okay because later on he turns to God. All right. So here's Nebuchadnezzar. They, this is a guy who loves to rule by fear and power and dominance. And so uh, you know the chief of the eunuchs is going, listen, king told me to do this. This guy is telling me, don't worry about if I eat that. I don't want to. What do I do? So he says, I fear the Lord, my king. Right? He's the one who made this assignment for you to eat that food and have that drink. Why should he, this is his, he's expressing his worry, his concern, his fear. Why should you look any worse off than everybody else if I let you do this? That's what he's saying. It says, why would I endanger my head with the king? Why would I, why would I sacrifice my life? Because I know who this king is. He doesn't even say, why would I risk getting in trouble with the king? He says, why would I risk dying? So Daniel says to him, listen, and this is Daniel and also the names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's another thing they would do, of course, from previous, you know, that they would even change your name. Belteshazzar is the name for Daniel, and so all of a sudden, Daniel was the Hebrew name, right? That's how we call him that. Um, it shows their dominance over a people group. And so all of a sudden, he says, hey, listen, do this for, for me and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is what I want for you. For you. Why don't you just test it for 10 days? Give us vegetables to eat, water to drink, and, uh, and then let's just see how it turns out. And so the guy, he listened to him, and he says, okay, well, I guess I'll do that. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. That's what we see unfolding here. What a story to think about. Because some of us, what we would have said is, well, um, I don't want to eat this. I know it's really been sacrificed and everything to another God, and it's an idol issue for me, and it's about worship for me, and all these different struggles, but it's what's in front of me, and at least it's good food, so I'm going to eat it anyway. What we would do is compromise, and I know that compromise in our culture is sometimes touted as this amazing virtue of like, wow, way to compromise, and sometimes, hear me say, compromise is healthy. You know, I think about marriage. I compromise all the time on marriage, and I just tell my wife she's right. It's a compromise. Maybe in a marriage, you truly do go, hey, listen, we want, I want to do this, you want to do this. How do we, you know, it's not a biblical issue, and so you compromise, you figure out how to do it. Maybe you do that at work, maybe you do that with friends, whatever that might look like for you. And I know that sometimes compromise is important, but when it comes to your faith in God, compromise is not a virtue. Compromise is something that you do because you're not willing to stand where God is called. 
And so here's Daniel willing to stand on godly principles no matter what. And he comes out, he's not, he's not arguing certain, he's not arguing the education, he's not learn, arguing the stuff with the language, he's not arguing even the cultural things. What he's saying is, I can't eat this though because it's not honoring to my God. I think this is one of Daniel's even ifs. He says, even if the society disagrees, I will not abandon Scripture. Even if the society disagrees, I will not abandon Scripture. I'm going to have biblical integrity. I'm going to stand firm in what I know God has called me to stand firm in. So he made up his mind. He's not going to defile himself. We know that from Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. And he says, I'm not going to do it. Because he knew who he worshipped. He knew where he needed to draw the lines of his own life. One of the things I still enjoy doing today I am a 40-year-old man, and uh, I still enjoy sitting down with especially my younger kids and coloring with them. I don't do it that much, probably once or twice a month, though. It's, it's a fun thing to be able to do. Um, you get the sheet of paper out of the coloring book, and you take it, and you get your pen. Uh, I, I prefer colored pencils, to be honest. I think they're much more uh, detailed. But you just start coloring, and you get to interact with your kids, talk to them, etc., and when you're doing this as a four- and a five-year-old, you start coloring. And what does everybody teach you? Yeah, say it again. Stay in the lines. Everybody teaches you. To, yes, that's what everybody does. Like, oh, you know, you, you did a great job, and you're even graded by it. Now, shocker, I was the kid growing up that would intentionally color outside the lines just to jack with my teacher. I was that kid. Um, because everybody would say, stay in the lines. I'm like, why can't you color outside the lines? Now, there are studies that are proven the people who color outside the lines are basically the ones who invent, like, NASA spaceships and the car and stuff like that. Huh. I just felt really validated. I was like, oh, that's cool. They're also a pain. Um, Color inside the lines. That's what you need to do, right? Here's what Daniel got, though. You know, it's, it's not bad to color in the lines. It's not bad to make sure that you're in a certain place. In fact, I could argue very quickly that it's a good thing to know where your lines are. What I'm asking for you to think about for just a moment, because I think Daniel understood this, is Daniel knew by whom his lines were being drawn. Was society defining his lines in which he would live by? Or was God defining the lines in which he would live by? And some of us have allowed society to step in in certain areas of our life and, and reposition the lines in which God has said, No! That's not it! And what have we done? We've compromised. And it's become this struggle for us in life because sometimes we don't even recognize that that's what we've done. But we've allowed society to draw the lines in which we're going to live in. And we're to draw the lines in our lives not by society, but by the almighty creator. His name is Jesus. And we've got to evaluate that in our lives and even the way that we have relationships with other people. It can be a good friend, it can be a teacher, it can be a spouse, it can be a colleague. It doesn't matter who it is. 
Our lines have to be drawn by God. And Daniel knew that, and, and as a result, he wasn't willing to compromise. Have you drawn godly lines in your life? Have you drawn godly lines in your life? That's a great topic, isn't it? To go and say, hey, talk with a friend. Hey, let's talk about the primary areas of life right now. And let's discuss if those areas are defined by society or if they're defined by God. If they're defined by society, I guarantee you they're always changing. People who allow the lines in their lives to be drawn by society, I have to believe they're more weary. (laughs) Because I already have the answer. It's already given to me. God's done it. Have you drawn biblical lines in your life? So here's Daniel. He's allowed God to determine the lines that he would stay in and no, no one or nothing else. And he seeks permission from the commander of the officers that, hey, I don't want to defile myself. Um, now, let me go ahead and say this also. Daniel was respectful. We don't see anything in this passage where Daniel was rude or disrespectful at all. He was respectful, but yet he was also unbending. Like there's too many people when it comes to religion and faith, they just you, you just cop too much attitude. We we need to be less about copying attitude and we need to be more about reflecting Jesus. Yes. He was respectful. He, he approached it the right way. And so it tells us God granted Daniel favor. So here's Daniel asking to do this very thing, to live on the vegetables, to live on the water. Now be careful about you know, this whole Daniel diet. I know some of you are on the Daniel diet, which is great, but it's not this Daniel diet because this Daniel diet was like seeds and roots and junk like that. Like It's not the vegetables that this... They didn't have Meyer produce section. So if you want to be on the vegetable and water diet, good for you, not for me. But it's not exactly the Daniel diet that we're talking about here. But here he is, and he's coming in, and he's like, okay, vegetable and water, that's what we're going to do. And the guy agrees to it for 10 days. And in the midst of it, Daniel is demonstrating this amazing um, Phenomenal, unwavering faith. He did what was right. And he trusted God. And what we find in Daniel chapter 1, verse 15, we discover that he and his friends looked healthier than all the other youth. It didn't make any sense probably to them. But here they are. You see, here's what Daniel knew. Our church has this desire that we would be a catalyst for spiritual awakening, spiritual awareness, and a dry culture. And Daniel knew that in order to be a catalyst for spiritual awakening and a dry culture, that you had to stand apart. He understood that. But I would tell you, if you really consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, and yet you don't want to stand apart, there's going to be a, you're going to stand apart. It doesn't mean in a negative way. 
Some may see it that way, but I would say it's a positive way. And your willingness to love your enemy, to pray for your enemy, to care for everybody around you, and, and to make sure that you approach them with respect and love and kindness, just as Daniel did, even when you disagree. And if that's what it means to look different, I'm okay with looking different. Daniel was okay with looking different. Standing apart, knowing that God could be using him to be part of that catalyst for spiritual awakening. And so as we keep walking through this, we see this chief of the eunuchs. We see the steward taking away the food, the wine, gave him the vegetables. It says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Keeps going, it says, at the end of this time, the king commanded that they be brought into him. Now, right now, you, I am certain, even Daniel was a bit apprehensive, a bit nervous, because he's going, oh, man, I, if I'm about to be brought in before the king and I haven't been eating the same food, I'm probably in the back, like, I don't know, they're, I'm sure they're doing push-ups or something. Air squats, I mean, like, okay, i got to look okay, because if I don't look healthy enough, they're going to know. And here he comes, brought in, brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke to them, among all of them, it says, none was found like Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. None of them, that's their other name. None of them was found to be like them. It says, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, listen to this, it says he found them ten times better than all the magicians, all the enchanters that were in his, his kingdom. Ten times. It's absolutely phenomenal to think about that God was actually taking these young men, and he said, you know what, they're going to be taken into captivity, but instead of adapting to the culture, I'm going to use them to change their culture. Isn't that cool? Is it, could that be what God is asking of you? Maybe you've got some high schoolers in here, maybe some college students, you're going, you don't understand how the world is today with culture and education, blah, 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 and so you're just trying to, to, to chameleon you're trying to be the chameleon and blend in as much as you can when God is going, don't you understand? I'm not asking for you to blend in. I'm asking for you to go change the culture. Some of you are the same at work. And you're going, yeah, but Pastor, you don't understand. I've been there 28 years. I just need my pension. Let me be. I don't need the trouble. But yet God says 10 times. They were ten times wiser, ten times better in every area that was inquired of them. And here's God using Daniel. And he's allowing him to step in, even as a Jewish man, to step in and to have this influence with the king that has taken him and put him into captivity. Uh, I need to go back just a little bit because something that has really stood out to me about this passage is, I tell you what, if, if God put me in that situation and I, everybody's acknowledging it's, I'm ten times better than everybody else in certain areas, 
Um, I would think pride could be an issue for some, maybe, right? But here's Daniel, and he writes that, and he says, he says, listen, God gave them. God gave learning. He doesn't say, and I was really smart, and I did better than anybody else. In fact, I did better ten times over than anyone else. He doesn't do that. He says, God gave learning. God gave skill in all literature. God gave wisdom. God gave understanding in all visions and dreams. That's what he's communicating here. It wasn't about who Daniel was. It was about who Daniel gave his life to. Please notice the difference. And so he's living in that mentality. And sometimes we think it's all about us, but it's not. What do we assume that we have achieved that has only been given by God? Daniel didn't assume that it was by his own might and his own strength. He knew it was of God. God gave it to him. God did this in his life and through him. And for that, he was not willing to to compromise. He was not willing to bend. He was going to stand in a place that was honoring to God. Because why, as a church, we know that simply because something is legal doesn't make it godly. We speak about it all the time. And so Daniel was living in this place knowing that God provided and God gave the knowledge, God gave the understanding. But Daniel stood in a place where he says, even if the culture is opposed to my faith, I will inject my faith into the culture. No matter what, he knew God could be doing something greater. Do you believe God could be doing something greater with your faith? Do you believe that God could be doing something greater with your faith? That it's more about what God is wanting to do with you to inject and to fill the culture that you're in with hope and with joy and with forgiveness and with mercy than it is about you getting glory or credit for anything in your life. And so here they are standing before the king. And it tells us that God blessed those four youth. That's what he did. They're noticeably more qualified than their peers. And later they would be assigned prominent positions within his court. Even, you know, I can't help but to think sometimes... We can get so down about the circumstances and the events of life. Maybe things aren't going the way that you think that they should be going, and this is a difficulty, and this is a difficulty, and maybe you've been trying to have a kid for this long, and you haven't been able to. I don't don't know your life story. Maybe you've been waiting for this job, and they gave it to somebody else, and you were banking on that. Whatever is happening. But what we fail to recognize sometimes, because things are difficult, We stop seeing how God could still be working even behind the scenes. And of all people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could be in a place where, man, we've been taken into captivity. We've got to learn their language, their culture. They're going to indoctrinate us so that we're just like them. And then they're going to to show us around like ponies, basically showing off to say, hey, look at what we can do to other people. We'll do it to you too. Ripped out of their own land, two months journey at least, having to go through all this. And instead of getting, it never says, and they were angry at God. I've yet to find that passage. In the midst of all that, you know what it says they were? They were faithful to God. And I know it can be hard, friends, 
but I'm asking you to learn from these young men. Because here they come. And they stood in a mighty way on behalf of God. Even when the world probably would have said, you have every right to be mad at your God. Our God must be greater. Come worship yourself. Come worship whatever you want to do. You're never wrong type of thing. The culture then and the culture today is not that different, is it? And some of us have to ask where we're going to, where, where are we going to draw the line in this? Daniel knew who he would be. He made a decision, and he made a wide spiritual stance, and he says, this is where I am. And he says, you know what? Daniel knew who he would be because of who he knew his God to be. That's what he did. He goes, you know, I know who my God is, and because I know who my God is, this is who I will be, and I will not be pushed over. I will stand firm. And reflecting my God to the world. And God used that to impact that entire culture to where later on the king would bow before his God, not the other way around. Do you believe that our world and our country needs some more God? Yes or no? What if God wants you to use you to be a part of doing such? Will you let him? I look at Daniel and a few things that I just think that we pick up on. Uh, when I look at Daniel, you, just, you, you look at the, the story as a whole and you go, man, this is who we learn of Daniel. Let, let's adopt some traits. If this is how God is already just in chapter 1, if this is already how God is using Daniel, I want some of that. Right? And this is, this is a few characteristics that we learn of Daniel that we can take away. First, uh, some characteristics of Daniel. Daniel remained humble. I'm just going to give you three quick ones. Boom, 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 before we close. Daniel remained humble. He said, this was God doing it. I've already addressed that, right? This was God. God gave. God gave wisdom. God gave understanding. It wasn't me. God did this. But also, Daniel, he demonstrated wisdom. God gave it to him, yes, but he wasn't copying an attitude with the chief of the eunuchs or anything else. He said, this is where it is, and he was respectful, but he displayed wisdom. Some of us need to display some wisdom in our own relationships, in our daily interaction with other people. So here's Daniel remaining humble, demonstrating wisdom. But also, here's, here's a characteristic that I just blows me away. Here's what Daniel did. Daniel served the godless. The chief of the eunuchs and Nebuchadnezzar and all these other guys, they had a different god. They worshiped different gods. And here he is and going, you know what? I'm still going to serve them. Why do we think that we must not serve people who believe differently than us. I think that that's who we should be serving more than anybody else and demonstrating the love and the grace and the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. That's why we say it all the time, God can redeem anyone from anything at any time. And we want to live in that understanding and process all that and go, wow, God can do this. 
That's why we want to strive to be a church that will serve all people and love them and to care for them. It doesn't mean we have different lines than what the Bible defines. The society does not define our lines. The Bible defines the lines that we have in life. But we will love all people and we will care for them and serve them. One of the pastors um, of, the, of a church that I was with this last week in Houston, yeah, he came to know the Lord in prison. And he's serving this congregation. He's growing and doing some pretty cool things. Um, and he just he just very kindly looked at some of us and said, listen, uh, I love what God's doing in your churches, but most churches, let's be honest, they don't welcome people like me. And he goes, the only reason I know the Lord is because people were willing to serve me. Even when I was broken and I was mean. And Daniel served the godless. Daniel was willing to serve people who didn't believe anything like him. Probably people who were willing to compromise beliefs and everything else. And he says, you know what, I'm going to do it respectfully and I'm going to serve them. He didn't critique them. He didn't belittle them. He simply knew where he would stand. Um, I, I think the challenge really that we learn from Daniel is needing to evaluate the lines that we have in our own lives and to determine whether or not those lines are being drawn by the society around us or if they've been drawn by God. To know the difference between the two and then stand firmly in the desire that God has called us to. What lines are you living by? Are you willing to say even if, just as all those friends of ours, I hope you know, the the people on the bumper before the, the message, those are people who go to church here. Even if cancer wins, even if my kids never come home, even if my kids never believe, even if my kids move overseas, even if, even if God is still going to draw the line, even if I will remain faithful. How is God calling you? remain faithful. God, I come before you. I thank you for these friends. I thank you for the powerful example of a Daniel. I thank you for how you worked in his life and how you moved in his life. I thank you for how you are teaching us thousands of years later by his life and his tenacity, his spiritual grit. And we need that because I know some of us are struggling to hold on to our faith, much less represent you in a hurting world. And so I pray for your anointing on these friends. And I pray for your blessing. I pray that you would touch the hearts of those who are just weary and wanting to give up. And for some, they just need to know what it is to believe and have faith. God, even if, 
will remain faithful. In Christ's name.